With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back, everyone, to the eighth episode of the Take the Points podcast. I'm your co-host, Tay Seth, joined by Arjun Menon today, where we will be talking about like an overall preview of the 2022 college football season and you know our perspective as NFL fans. And then we'll have college football experts Kelly Ford and Parker Fleming on to talk more about the 2022 season and in particular. Arjun, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Um, at the time we're recording this, which is a Sunday um the five WNBA games on tonight so or today so have a lot to have a lot of bets going right now um and also by the time this episode drops on Wednesday I'll be in Cincinnati uh visiting the PFF office for the first time since I got brought onto the company last year so really looking forward to that and then you know finally you know I'll be in uh, Ann Arbor um this week and I'll be able to see you for the first time since we kind of like you know said bye to each other back in April so also really looking forward to that also looking forward to having this discussion about college football, something we haven't really discussed in a lot of detail on this podcast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know, lots of, lots of big things happening for you. you know, very, very exciting. And, um, and yeah, you know, this, I think this is going to be a lot of fun to, to talk about, you know, kind of like the 2022 college football season today. And like, you know, when we're, you know, we're like, we're, you know, we're, we're pretty big NFL fans and, you know, during the season because of school or other things going on, what I really figured out about being, you know, in, in college and, um, and like a big football fan is like, you kind of have to choose one or the other because of like, you know, projects or homework that you get during the season. Like, you know, I have a lot of friends that just choose college football and will watch, you know, college football all day Saturday, and then they won't be able to watch NFL football on Sunday. And we kind of do the opposite where we don't watch too much college football, uh, you know, try to watch the big games here and there, but, you know, really want to make sure we can watch as, as many NFL games as we can on Sunday. And that, but like, I wanted to do this because like every year, like going into the season in the summer, when I have more time, like I, I want to like get a good gauge of like what, what's exactly happening in college football, because, you know, there's a lot of cool trends that happen. Um, and then there's, you know, there's, there's really good teams that are good to watch because their um their their players will be talked about in in you know March and April when we're getting ready for the NFL draft and so you know this year I thought you know um this is a really interesting quote from from Bill Connolly's article where he said Caesar sportsbook is taking bets on Alabama Ohio State and Georgia versus the field to win the national title and the odds for that is minus 345 which is equivalent to a 78% chance so, you know, there's there's basically an 80 percent chance that one of those three teams will win the national championship, which is, you know, really, really crazy. And, you know, looking at things from like a NFL draft perspective, what are some things you might look for on, on those teams this year? Um, obviously, the the big uh, two quarterbacks, Stroud and Bryce Young, just to see how how much they develop this year as well. Can Young and Stroud stay Heisman candidates? Can they keep their place on top of the big boards you know pretty much all both of them are ranked in the top five along with 
other studs like uh, Will Anderson and, and Jalen Carter. Um, and, you know, obviously Jalen Carter comes from Georgia and uh, Will Anderson comes from Alabama. So you could, you could honestly make a case that the, the consensus top four players in this NFL draft, like heading into the college football season are all from Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio state, which is, is pretty crazy in itself. So looking, you know, kind of looking to see how uh, those top four prospects develop and, and see if they can keep their place on top of the big board. And then, you know, I'm, I'm also from an NFL draft perspective, there's probably going to be some type of quarterback that kind of pops up out of nowhere and, and instantly rises up the boards to being a uh, early to mid round first round pick. Um, because, you know, teams will always overdraft quarterbacks because of how valuable the position it is. And overdraft in, in um, relative to their consensus big board rank, I don't think, you know, quarterbacks give you a surplus value most of the time, as long as they're replaced, like above replacement level. So kind of just looking for for those things from the college football season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I know I'm, I'm really interested in the quarterbacks as well. And Stroud versus Young, I think, is is interesting. So, you know, last year, um, Stroud had some some up and downs, but towards the end of the season, he was playing really, really good football. And, um, you know, using PFF's completion percentage over expected, he was a plus 6.5% CPOE last season, while Bryce Young was plus 5%. So very similar, but Stroud was a little bit better as a passer there. And then Stroud also had a higher EPA per pass and just has more of like a, you know, like a build that you want for, you know, a typical NFL quarterback. Bryce Young is a little too short, um, Mm -hmm. you know, which, which will limit some of the things, you know, we've seen shorter quarterbacks like Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson, not be able to hit the middle of the field as much as, as an NFL offensive coordinator would want them to. So that's why I lean Stroud right now, but you know, you can talk me into any of those quarterbacks. And then the the other interesting ones that are being talked about is Will Levis from uh, Kentucky, who had a zero percent completion percentage over expected last season. So you know, I I get the big arm is there, and you know, he he did cool stuff with Wandell Robinson last year, but he's not someone I'm too high on right now unless he shows some improvement there. And um and you know, our, our friend Connor McQuiston now at the Cardinals uh, brought this up, you know, couple during during uh, the NFL draft season this year, and he said that the debate between analytics people and Grayson McCall is and uh, film people is mm-hmm. going to be very funny because McCall, you know, plays in kind of a, a gimmicky offense at, at Coastal Carolina, um, but puts up insane stats like uh, 0.6 EPA per pass led all of college last year, uh, you know, is higher, higher than Stroud, higher than Bryce Young. Um, but again, like it's a, it's a fake offense. His arm isn't that good. Um, so, you know, I think, I think it'll be really interesting to see, you know, kind of where teams value someone like that, who's, who is super efficient, but might not have the tools to succeed in the league. Yeah. And, and for our listeners, you know, Tage bringing up completion percentage over expected is, is relevant in this discussion because as he found last year, um, CPOE is, is one of the better metrics in predicting EPA per play in at the NFL level. So I think, you know, I, it's interesting because I have to like, I had to update my priors a little bit after you wrote that article um, because like previously, like I did think accuracy was, was important and, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't always sold on like, oh, the big arm, the arm talent type of thing, which is funny because that's, that's who my quarterback is right now. Um, and he wasn't the most accurate in college, but there's always, there's always outliers. So I do, I do agree with um, your article to a sense that like completion percentage and accuracy in general matters. My question is like with someone like Stroud or Young, they're throwing to possibly, you know, the greatest receivers in college football at the time, right? Like Bryce Young had Jamison Williams 
and John Mechie. Stroud had probably one of the best wide receiver trios we've ever seen. Two of them went in the top 12. And this next one is supposed to be even better than to that than Alave and, and Wilson with um, you know, and Smith Najigba. So how do you like how do you evaluate like CPOE as a stat when when you're kind of throwing to receivers that are always going to be open and and are really highly ranked by by the NFL? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's I mean, that's a great point. And like my my thing about that is like a, a lot of these quarterbacks that are that are coming out now are just that that are being drafted highly are just throwing to, to, you know, talent that's better than what's on the other side of the ball. Right. Like, um, you know, like, you know, Trevor Lawrence at Clemson was throwing to, to Justin Ross and, you know, it it was in a good scheme and had Travis Etienne, who was, who was, you know, the most explosive running back in, in all of college and, and all that stuff. So he was helped there. Mac Jones was throwing to, you know, Devante Smith and Jalen Waddle and, and those types of receivers there. And uh, Justin Fields was throwing to all the Ohio state receivers that, that you kind of mentioned. So like, you know, when, when you're comparing between these these quarterbacks now that are getting drafted, like basically all of them, except like, you know, some outliers with like Trey Lance, who, who didn't even throw that much in college, but was still had better talent on his team than like the opposition had. in in basically every game, because he played for a FCS dynasty. And so it's, it's, yeah, you know, you're right. It's like, it's tough. It's tougher to account for that. And like, you know, the, the CPOE model um, is like pretty good, but like, it definitely could be better. Um, you know, if, if, uh, if different things were added, like how good the receivers were, or maybe there was a play caller adjustment um, because like the Oklahoma quarterbacks showed up both really high last year when they probably should have been a little bit lower and, and different stuff like that. So I, yeah, that's true. It is, it is tough, but um, you know, jumping into, to like the, the actual, you know, 2022 season, I, you know, I think, I think it's, it's really interesting that, that outside of those three teams, um, which are, which the the Alabama, Ohio State, and Georgia, who are the the three highest teams in blue chip ratio, which is um, you know teams that are the amount of players on your team that are four or five star recruits. So like for Alabama, eighty nine percent of their players are four or five star recruits. Uh, Ohio State is eighty percent, and then Georgia is seventy seven percent. But then outside of that, you know you have Oklahoma at seventy one percent, Texas A and M at seventy percent. Uh, Texas at 68% and LSU 66%, Clemson 63%. So these are teams that could, you know, make some noise and compete for the fourth spot in the playoff. Um, do you do you like any of those teams in particular, or are they kind of all in the same tier to you? Um, de- definitely all in the same tier for me. I like I'm I'm curious about Clemson because like DJ, um, I don't really know how to say his last name. He was like super highly rated coming out of high school like he went to i think saint john bosco which is about like 40 minutes from where i live and like there was so much hype around him in high school and and he kind of got to clemson he had a i mean if i remember correctly his freshman year when he spelled trevor lawrence when he had covid he had some he had two like pretty good games and then kind of fell off this past year and even got benched for little so like if he's able to produce and get back to that freshman year level or or to the hype he was getting as like a five-star recruit coming out of high school um i think clemson should be in the running for that um fourth spot just because the acc isn't that isn't that strong at all so they should have like a relatively clear way or clear path to getting the fourth or, or a higher seed um i also i also like oklahoma state and um and utah like 
I think Utah's a fun team because they they're kind of they don't really have like the highest recruits, but they develop prospects really well. Like there's a lot of good NFL prospects that come out of Utah every single year. Um, and then you know Oklahoma State is was kind of a fun one because they they made it to the I forget what bowl it was, and they they were kind of beating Baylor, and then Baylor came back, and Oklahoma State had four downs from like the two yard line and just couldn't score against Dave Arnada's off uh, defense. So you know, they, they could probably make it back with, with Spencer Sanders. So excited for those three teams. And, but, but picking that four seed is hard, man. I, just like you said, like the, the top three are probably strong enough to where like any, the fourth team they play will probably be a blowout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I, I, I do like Utah a lot this year too. I think it's really cool how, how physical they are. And, you know, that's why like, you know, there's, these other teams in, in the PAC 12, like UCLA or, or USC or, or, you know, other teams like that, like, they've, you know, they, they put a lot of emphasis on, you know, kind of like speed and spreading it out and stuff. And like Utah will, will just like dominate the trenches and, and control there. But yeah, I know I'm, I'm so interested in seeing how Clemson does this year and particularly Dabo Sweeney. Like this is a huge year for kind of his legacy. I feel like, right. Like he lost both coordinators, um, you know, with Venables going to Oklahoma to be their head coach. Like Venables was, was, you know, probably the best uh, defensive coordinator in college football for for the last couple of years so it'll it'll be really interesting to see like how Dabo handles that and then like he has to prove that you know you know I mean I get he recruited these guys but like you know a lot of a lot of coaches recruit um five-star five-star quarterbacks but he has to kind of prove he can do it without a generational quarterback because he had Deshaun Watson Trevor Lawrence mm-hmm. basically back to back with one year in between and um and like, you know, it went, it went very, very well for Clemson in that time. But, you know, when, when those two quarterbacks haven't been playing for you, it, you know, I think, I think uh, it, it has made Dabble not look that good. And, um, and, and Clemson was able to rebound and kind of salvage their season last year, but it was still very interesting because, you know, you can see like a true, like tier one coach, like Nick Saban can win in different ways, right? Like early Saban at Alabama, the the first part of the dynasty was all defense and run game, you know, with Mark Ingram and Derrick Henry. And they had like quarterbacks like AJ McCarron and, and stuff like that. And, you know, the, the switch that, um, that, you know, Parker Fleming kind of brought up that, that I was, I was tweeting about the other day was, um, you know, around 2011, 2012, Nick Saban started to realize that, you know, the, just football in general, but, you know, particularly college football is going to be dominated by quarterbacks and wide receivers. And then he saw that firsthand in the 2016 national championship game when Deshaun Watson, you know, went up and down the field on his number one ranked defense going into that game, scored 35 points, game winning throw to Hunter Renfro. And ever since then, Alabama has created this death star on offense with highly ranked quarterbacks, very, very highly ranked wide receivers. And now they have like two wide receivers go in the first round basically every year. So, you know, I, I think like that's kind of the difference between, uh, you know, a Saban and, and Dabo. And, you know, it's unfair to compare Dabo to the best coach in college football history. But, you know, that's that's just like something that that I've noticed is, is winning in different ways and how important that is as a as a college football head coach. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely a great point. And your point about Dabo is was something that I think got brought up a little bit last year um, with with how good Deshaun and Trevor were. He didn't really have to do much. It was it's I'm not saying it's as similar, but it's kind of like similar in a way to like Kyler Murray and Cliff in, in Arizona. Like Kyler's at, at his peak when he's fully healthy, like he can kind of um, hide some of the uh, play calling inconsistencies 
with how much stuff he can do outside the pocket and how much he's able to do, um, extend plays and things like that. And I think, you know, Trevor and Deshaun fall in that same fold when they were in college, which is why, you know, both of them went, went in the top 10 of the, of the NFL draft. But, but yeah, like in terms of changing the way they think about things, I think that's, that's why Saban is so good. And it's kind of like, um, what, what Quasi talked about in, in one of his press conferences, like you need to have this like beige June updating, mm-hmm. um, mindset where like you need to be able to update as you as you go and i think that's something saban's done really well like you mentioned um i think i mean alabama still has like really good defenses you know he hasn't lost that touch but i think i think realizing that offense wins wins games and and will take you as will take you further in the playoffs now than it did before is something that saban has done really well at and something that i i hope that he continues as a as a head coach Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's all those things too, is like on top of, you know, the, the offensive revolution that he's kind of had too. It's like fourth down decisions. He's gotten a lot better at, um, you know, and, and like the, all of, all of college has gotten better at fourth down decisions too. Like, um, you know, on, on fourth and one through three uh, in 2014 teams only went for it 36% of the time. And last year that was 47% of the time. And like Lane Kiffin has kind of been the poster boy for, for that type of stuff. And, you know, he, he was second last year and, in, in go for it rate when he should, according to Jared Lee's model from AI sports. And, um, you know, I thought, I thought that's really interesting is, is like, you know, they, they these coaches are, are really figuring out like how to understand, you know, like the, the things that are, that are like influencing the game right now. And, um, you know, something we've talked about on the show before is like the big 12 started playing three high safeties because the passing game was so explosive uh, in that conference for, for so long. And, you know, they, they needed a new way to combat that. Um, Matt Campbell at Iowa state had the three, three, five, um, you know, where, where he, he only had the three down defensive linemen and, and was doing a lot of cool stuff with, with that to stop the pass game. And, you know, it's really cool to see like these, these concepts kind of trickle up to, into the NFL, um, you know, like with, with Brandon Staley kind of getting his roots from, from college um, where he was running a lot of the too high stuff and it kind of, you know, went up into where he was part of Vic Vangio's staff. And then eventually the, the chargers head coach, and you can kind of follow that path for a lot of coaches. Andy Reid will, you know, grab plays from college all the time um, and use it, you know, for the chiefs offense. And, you know, it's all those things that kind of make these coaches one step ahead is, is just getting as much information as possible and, and all that stuff. So um, but yeah, no, this was, this was great to, to talk, um, you know, kind of, kind of preview the season. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for, for some of the, the opening games, um, you know, the, the, like the, the Notre Dame, uh, Notre Dame, Ohio state game, I think will be a lot of fun. Um, you know, Arkansas, uh, Cincinnati, I think will be good. And Oregon, Georgia, I think will be fun the, the opening week there. And then, and then we'll get into, you know, some other non-conference games and conference play after that, but we'll, we'll hop to our interview with Kelly and then after that, Parker, and then we'll wrap up with our uh, bet of the week and unhinged tweet. We are now very excited to bring on my good friend, Kelly Ford, host of the We Hate Your Team podcast and creator of the K Ford Ratings. Uh, Kelly, on this show, you know, we like to share our favorite work or favorite memories of our guests. And so for me, it's been, you know, both times we were able to meet up in person, um, you know, once when you were in Ann Arbor and then another time when I was in Minneapolis and, you know, we just talked football and, and everything for, for hours and, and, you know, caught up and everything. It was, it, it really enjoyed that. So, you know, how are you today? I'm doing well, Tej. Thanks to you and Arjun for having me on. I really appreciate it. And yeah, Twitter, 
has def definitely has its drawbacks, but my absolute favorite thing about social media, Twitter in particular, is the few select relationships that I've been able to cultivate outside of social media and then into the real world, you being a prime example of that. I've had a great time getting to know you here in the last year or two, and uh, yeah, definitely excited to be on today with you guys. Yeah, that's such a good point about Twitter. I think like a lot of people don't really like the app, but I mean, at least for me, I can say it kind of got me my internship with with PFF. Um, but Kelly, you know, uh, I, I don't really follow a ton of college football. Like I'm not, I think the NFL is obviously like the premium product, but I did like to bet on it this past year. And when I did bet, you know, outside of using like PFF green line, I also like to use a few select power rating tools um, from Twitter. And I happen to stumble across your work pretty much every week when it came to placing some bets um, on certain games. So I, I really loved looking at your work to kind of give a better understanding of where teams are rated and kind of like the wisdom of the crowds idea. So uh, first off, like what interested you about college football to the point where you wanted to build your own Kelly Ford ratings? Yeah, for sure. And, and first, Arjun, I do have to say, you said football or uh, NFL is your, your favorite. It's the premier. It's, it's the better you're missing out, man. That's all I can say. Everyone's going to be their own, but you're missing out. College football is where it is for me. And no, in all seriousness, that is, I mean, that's what started my interest in the ratings. Like I have always loved college football. It has always been my favorite sport for as long as I can remember. I don't even remember why. I just remember being very young and loving college football. I mean, when I was little, I had this, I don't know, it was a two or three inch handheld TV with an antenna. I still have it actually just found it in, in the basement storage here, but I would take it with me Anytime I had to leave the house on a Saturday in the fall. And I remember people thinking, you know, it was weird and talking to my parents about it. And my mom would always be like, yeah, you know, I don't know. He's pretty much obsessed with college football. And like, she wasn't wrong. I mean, I've, I've taken that to the next level now because in my basement uh, of, of my house that I live in now with my wife and my, my kids, we've got this wall. It's got five TVs on it. And I designed it that way specifically for college football Saturdays. And uh, March Madness is pretty fun too, but college football Saturdays in the fall, like that's what this wall was made for. So I've always been a massive fan. Um, and I also, I've always really liked math and numbers my whole life as well. So um, to the point that my undergrad degree is actually in mechanical engineering. So a lot of math and science courses there, obviously going towards that degree. So the natural intersection of those areas of my interest is using that math to power rate college football teams. Um, back in 2019, I joined Twitter. As we talked about, there's there's some drawbacks to it, but there are some positives as well if you if you know how to use it right. Um, and I just started putting my work out there, and people like you and others have have checked it out and, and given feedback, and it's been a really fun experience for me. So yeah, math and numbers just with a diehard fandom is kind of how it all got started. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like that's that's you know pretty similar to how a lot of us got in there, where it was the love of you know just watching football first, and then you know as we got more. Um, you know, into the, the statistics aspect of it, it, it really grew from there. And, you know, like I, your, your, your ratings that you put out, you know, you have so many different models and, and types of things that you do, like, you know, can you kind of take us through the, the process for like developing your ratings, um, like which factors you found are important and like things you've, you've thought about tinkering with, with like your, your college football um, predictive models and stuff? For sure. Yeah. So there are really two phases of my, my power ratings, which is the predictive model that I have. Cause I also have my most deserving rankings, which mm -hmm. are a little bit different, but for the power ratings, I have my preseason numbers and then there are the in-season numbers. So for the preseason, which obviously is what we're in right now, the inputs are returning production, recent recruiting with the most recent class, most heavily weighted, and then recent team performance using my K Ford ratings from past seasons, again, with the most recent season being the most heavily weighted. 2020 numbers with COVID and, and conference only, 
made some adjustments for that, but all in all, those are the three main inputs that, that go into it in the preseason. Capturing returning production has become increasingly difficult um, recently with the extra year of eligibility due to COVID, um, as well as then the increased transfer portal usage, which is great for student athletes and their ability to move around. A little bit more difficult for people out there like me trying to keep track of where is everybody and do I need to make adjustments because someone's production at a G5 school may not equal their production at a Power 5 school or coming from FCS up into FBS. So there's other adjustments that I have to make there. Um, but yeah, that, that's basically it. Um, and I finished up my preliminary numbers back in June, got my updated numbers out there uh, in July, and now I'm working now on the finishing touches for one last update to produce the final official preseason ratings here in mid-August. And then once we get into the season, I work with in-season game data, of course. So it's primarily the five factors made famous by Bill Connolly, um, geez, a, a while ago now, 15 years ago, almost 20 years ago, explosiveness, efficiency, field position, finishing drives, and turnovers. Mm-hmm. I have a few other proprietary inputs that go into it as well, but those are really the nuts and bolts of the power ratings model. Um, and then I mentioned the most deserving rankings. Those are my results-based metric, which I use to um, – basically rank teams based on what they've accomplished to any given point in the season. So think of ESPN strength of record, but I'm using my power ratings as the engine for that. So those are really the two um, sets that I have and kind of what goes into them. Yeah, no, that sounds great. And it, you know, your, your um, point about using Bill Connolly's like five points of, of um, you know, in game data, you know, that that's kind of what I wanted to ask. Like, do you ever, consider like what other people do look at other power ratings or models and think that like oh you know this could be a good way or good input to to use in my model and you know potentially use it to improve my ratings going forward definitely yeah so just talking about bill Connolly there before i started my k ford ratings i consumed absolutely everything i could online um and in videos and, and whatever i could find about bill's sp plus and Brian Fromo's FEI. I mean, those two guys, in my opinion, are the godfathers of college football analytics, and their metrics are, have been and remain the gold standards, again, in my opinion. So I basically started with Bill and Brian's blueprint for as much as I could find out about it. And then as I got going, I took different twists and turns and kind of found my own way. Um, there are a handful of other college football power ratings out there that I really enjoy looking at and do. And I, you know, DM with a lot of those guys um, on on Twitter and got to the point where we've shared some cell phone numbers. So definitely uh, collaborate with others out there doing kind of what I'm doing with the power rating. But SP Plus and FEI, those are the benchmarks that I use most frequently for sure. Yeah, and you know, yeah, you know, having having the opportunity to talk to Bill Connolly as was like a really good experience. You know, he's, he's a great guy, you know, super, super sharp and, and definitely, definitely know to talk about him. You know, I'm glad that, that your, your rankings can kind of, you know, be similar to his and, and also throw in some, some different stuff too. But um, yeah, you know, we, 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 earlier in this episode, we talked about like the, you know, 2022 season four college football, Um, you know, pretty, pretty excited about it and, and curious to see how it unfolds. So, you know, a lot of the the research and the numbers kind of points to Alabama, Ohio State and Georgia being like the top three teams in the country and and pretty probable to to make the playoffs. But is there a fourth team you see that that could get there? Like, who are some of the teams that you're looking for, that, for to get that last spot in the playoff if it is those three teams that end up making it? Yeah, absolutely. And there are people out there, Tej, who don't want to talk about the playoff until you get October, November, right? And, and like people that I enjoy and like and respect in the college football space. And the reason I think that they feel that way is 
they don't want to lose sight of what truly makes college football special. And I agree. It's the regular season. Like every single week you've got great games, any upset can happen. I'm like, that's what, that's what all of us fans and people that love the game. That's what we rally behind is those, those joyous moments on any given Saturday. But I also think that it's okay to talk about the playoff like now, even while still respecting the regular season. So I have no problem talking about the playoff. There are some people out there like, Oh, I don't talk playoff until November. And I'm like, Okay, well, I guess we just won't talk about the playoff then, but I'm still going to talk about it over here. So, yeah, no, you're you're right. And I know Cincinnati just made the playoff last year as a G5 team, as they absolutely deserve to. Like, my power ratings had them up there in the top four or five. My most deserving rankings had them at number four. So I absolutely think the committee got it right, and Cincinnati deserved to be in. But that is the first time that a G5 team has made um, the playoff in its history since back to 20 or since 2014. Um, so anytime you're talking about favorites for the playoff, I think it's probably best to look at the favorites in each of the power five conferences. And you're right, Tage, my numbers, um, just like you, you mentioned there, definitely see Alabama, Ohio State and Georgia as the clear cut top three. I mean, there is a those three are going to be great. Um, at least that's what I'm projecting. And then there's a pretty clear cutoff to four and beyond. So after those top three, though, I've got Clemson as the best team in the ACC, Oklahoma, the best in the Big 12 and Utah, the best in the Pac-12. So those three teams right off the bat, I would say, are in contention for sure as being the favorites by my numbers in those other Power 5 leagues. Then there are two more teams that I think if they can find a way to get past Ohio State, I think they've got a really good chance to make it as well, and that would be Notre Dame in the very first game of the season, and Michigan, which I'm sure you and Arjun are going to be excited to hear in that final game of the regular season. So those teams right there, they're all in my um, updated preseason top 10. So I'd say Alabama, Ohio State, um, Georgia, probably the tier one playoff contenders and those others that I just named there being Oklahoma, Utah, Clemson, Notre Dame, Michigan. Those are probably the tier two playoff contenders at the moment. And of course, the season's going to play out and that'll change and be fluid. And that's why we love the sport. But for now, that's what I'd say. Yeah, that, that's that's really cool to hear. And you know, I, I wanted to talk about like some of the comparisons between the NFL and, and college football and like actually how like drastically different it is. You know, in the NFL, it's like it's tough to compete for a Super Bowl or let alone even like make the playoffs without having a competent passing attacker or a, a at least an above average quarterback. Do you think that like this idea holds true for college football or or do you think colleges can get away without having like a Heisman type quarterback or a quarterback that has the potential to go play in the NFL? It's a really good question, Arjun, and I think my answer probably would have been different if you asked me a year ago or even nine months ago, for that matter, but uh, football is football to a certain extent, so NFL, college, high school, I mean, it goes all the way down. Having a elite quarterback is the best way to make your team elite, regardless of the level. I would say in college, I would say, because in the NFL, you're saying you have to have a really good quarterback to win the Super Bowl. Yes, I agree. In college, I would have said that, but we just saw Georgia win a national championship with Stetson Bennett. And I was I was at that game, right? It was the national championship game was in Indy. I was able to work that game. Um, it was incredible. I was on the field. I was walking around the stadium. It was, it was, I was on the field for the celebration afterwards, got some of the confetti, all that stuff. Like it was, it was amazing. But Stetson Bennett, by almost no account, I mean, Arjun, I'd be curious what PFF's grade is of Stetson. Like, I don't think people really consider Stetson Bennett an elite quarterback. He's certainly not being mentioned in the Heisman conversation, at least as far as I know. So um, I think it's been proven that you can win a national championship with a non-elite quarterback. To do so, 
you have to be just off the charts elite in other areas, though. And I would say that Georgia's defense last year absolutely checked that box. I mean, that defense, by my numbers, by Bill, Bill Connolly just put out an article earlier this week, I think it was, ta- ranking the best 50 defenses in college history. In 2021, Georgia was somewhere around the top 10. I don't remember exactly where, but like they were a historically great defense. There were five first-round draft picks, right, on the defensive side of the ball. Like, that defense was incredible, and so I think having that definitely goes a long way towards not having an elite quarterback and still winning a national championship. So in most cases, yes, the teams with elite quarterbacks, those are going to be your your favorites, your contenders, but I do think there's a pathway, a blueprint, if you will, um, to doing it without one, and I think Georgia showed you what that is just last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I love that answer, and yeah, you know, it's a it's like one of those things where it's like a rule most of the time, but because of what Georgia just did, it, it changes things. But, you know, if you're counting on, um, you know, historically number one, you know, overall defense to, to win you the national championship without an elite quarterback, that's definitely tough to do. But, you know, what are, what are some like other teams you see as like, you know, maybe teams that people aren't talking about this year that could really make a jump and get into the conversation as like a top 10 team, um, you know, later in the season and everything. Yeah, Tage. So, I mean, we, we already mentioned eight, right? So that's in a field of four. We've already mentioned twice as many as can get in. Um, I, I'm not sure there's really like a sleeper by my numbers of a team that people aren't talking about that I think has a chance. I think kind of the opposite, though. There are teams that people are talking about that they think have a chance that my numbers suggest really they don't. Um, and that would be teams like USC. Like, I'm excited about Lincoln Riley going there. I think it's great for the West Coast and college football now. We can talk about USC and UCLA to the Big Ten and what's that do. But but that point aside, like I think it's great for USC with Lincoln Riley and they're bringing in all these offensive weapons via the transfer portal. But the offense wasn't the problem last year, guys. Like The problem was the defense. That's why USC wasn't very good last year. So until I see that defense improve, like I'm not buying the USC playoff talk. I'm not even really buying the USC Pac-12 championship talk, at least in 2022. Now, we'll see about beyond that. But I think USC is a team getting a lot of hype that maybe doesn't deserve it. Um, Texas, like my numbers like Texas, right? They're a top 15 team, but I don't think they're going to make the playoff this year. Uh, Texas A&M, they're so hot on the recruiting trail. Best class ever by 24-7 composite ratings this past year. Like what Jimbo's doing off the field with NIL, we can talk about that's a whole different conversation too. Whether did he use it within the rules? Did he abuse it? I mean, regardless, they're getting some great players there on campus but I don't think 2022 is the year there either. I know NC State's getting some love. Again, I think they're going to be a really good team. I'm not sure this is the year. Miami's starting to see them as a hot pick. Like, again, good team. Don't think they're ready for the playoffs. So, Tage, to answer your question, I'm not sure there's a team that we haven't named that I would say, watch out, they're a dark horse playoff team. I think there's a lot of teams out there, though, who people are talking about for the playoff that I'm like, okay, hold your horses there. I'm not quite sure that team's ready in 2022. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, okay. Yeah. That's, that definitely makes sense. I, I do like, you know, kind of flipping it upside down and, and looking at it from that perspective, but is there, is there like maybe a, a dark horse, like quarterback or or maybe even skill position player that you think could win Heisman this year? If it's, if it's not going to be a quarterback. Oh gosh, that's a good question. Uh, so, so with my work being really team driven, I don't dive too much into the individual players and, and I really, I don't speculate. So I talked about earlier how people, some people don't like to talk about the playoff till a certain point. I don't talk about the Heisman until well into the season, just because like um, Kenny Hill, like there's an example from not, not even that long ago, Texas A&M quarterback got off to a blazing hot start at the start of the year. Everyone's talking about Heisman's wrapped up. It's it's great. Well, he fell off right away. And so like, I I have not, I'm not going to let myself buy into Heisman hype until we get going into the season. So 
Sage, I mean, I'm not sure. Um, it really is. It's it's a quarterback award. I know we have examples just recently of wide receivers winning it. Running backs, if we go back not too far. Um, if we're going to talk Heisman, like for me, uh, and I know J- Josh Pate is someone I really enjoy, the late kick with Josh Pate, and he, and he bangs this drum. A lot of people have banged this drum. Like Will Anderson, linebacker at Alabama, should have been in New York City last year. He wasn't. Uh, just recently, we had someone talk. Uh, was it Mad Dog was talking? He's a Heisman voter and saying like, "It's a, I don't vote. I don't even consider anybody that's on the defensive side of the ball." And it's like, to me, that's wrong. Like th- some of the best players in college football history, like Indomitian Sue comes comes to mind. Uh, Will Anderson just last year. It's like these people not only should they be in the conversation, like they should get serious consideration and, and probably should have won the award. Um, so like, I'd love to see a defensive player just get to New York. And I think Will Anderson could be that. So if you're looking for someone who's not a quarterback, who you think might be there, Will Anderson might have a chance this year, just because the uproar last year around him was so great. Heisman voters might be more inclined to be paying attention to him. And I absolutely expect Alabama to have a great season and him to put up numbers again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely makes a lot of sense. I know, you know, a lot of eyes are going to be on Will Anderson this year, but yeah, no, Kelly, this is, this is awesome. It was, it was great to talk to you. Um, you know, I want to wrap up with a fun question like we usually do. So you mentioned the, the five TV setup you have in, in your basement. I was, I was just wondering, are, are any of them going to be on Paw Patrol to keep your kids entertained during the season this year? Oh, Tage, yeah. So we, we have a, a, a boy that's going to turn three in September and a girl that's going to turn one here in about two weeks in August. Um, Paw Patrol. Uh, we used to do Blippy, not anymore. Bluey's a good one. He loves the Cars movies. He's getting into Toy Story. Yeah, man. I absolutely okay. I put on whatever our kids want to watch until College Football Saturday. <laughs> then all five TVs get College Football, and I hand my son the iPad and say, "Have at it, buddy. <laughs> like sit right here next to me. You watch Paw Patrol, Cars, Bluey, whatever you're watching." And daddy's going to watch college football. Tasia got to the point where um, at the end of last season, so he was, he had just turned two during the season. In the last season, college football just ended. And he came up to me on the couch one day and he said, daddy, we watch cars after the game. Cause he was like, he's got so conditioned last fall to be like after the game, buddy, after the game, which probably is not great parenting, but you know, that's the way it goes. We all make sacrifices in the fall. And I try really hard to to give him everything that he wants outside of those 15 Saturdays. So we all make compromises. That's mine with him. So he takes the iPad and I get the TVs, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a little look into my home life for you. (laughs) That's awesome. I like it, you know, start them young, but yeah, no, thanks. Thanks so much for coming on, you know, for everyone listening, be sure to follow Kelly at K Ford ratings on Twitter, check out his website, K ratings.com. Uh, his podcast, We Hate Your Team. And yeah, you know, thanks again, Kelly. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Tej. I appreciate you and Arjun having me on. Uh, this has been great. So thanks, guys. For our next guest, it's just going to be me talking to Parker Fleming. Arjun is out living it up in Cincinnati at the PFF offices. So I'm I'm here with Parker to to kind of have a you know more deeper conversation on what we talked about earlier in the episode uh, about the 2022 college football season. So you know I'm, I'm welcoming Parker onto the show, who can be found at StatsOR on Twitter as well as the BetUS College Football Show on YouTube. Parker, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Tish. How are you? 
Good. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for asking and, and for coming on. I think, I think this is going to be a lot of fun and, you know, I've been a, a big fan of, of everything you've done for a while. Um, you know, your CFB graphs website where you can go and sort teams by EPA per play and all that stuff is, has been really good to check during the season as I'm trying to get, you know, a feel of some advanced stats that's happening in college football. So, you know, I was, I was wondering, you know, you put a lot of research into this type of stuff, like what, what kind of metrics do you usually find that are important for team success, like during the regular season and everything? Yeah. So that I think um, college football, especially uh, like obviously NFL is a little more professional, both in terms of the players are getting paid professionally, but also in terms of kind of the production and, and, and so, and how people consume it. Um, and so for college football, I kind of think there's like a demand for a lot of information and maybe not as much, um, you know, uh, not as much uh, availability of stats, but also kind of thinking about how we're thinking about the game. And so I like to go from a sliding scale, you know, people, people want to talk about total yards. They want to talk about touchdown interception ratio. And I, I try and filter us away from those kind of into the more pace stats. And um, I, I think that the main metrics that I really use if I'm diving into looking at a team are kind of threefold. One, I'm going to look at EPA per play broken out for run and pass mm -hmm. because I just want to see expected points added. How often on average are you um, increasing your position in a, or, or improving your position based on game state? Um, I want to look at your rush rate over expectation. So again, just accounting for down distance yard line, college football has so much heterogeneity of style and that matters so much for how teams match up and are kind of this complementary play that um, I, to, to evaluate a team, I almost have to see that metric just to understand what they're trying to do. And the third one is a stat I kind of created, stole it from hockey. If you're familiar, there's like the Corsi metric or the Fenwick metric. And those are kind of measures of quality possessions. Mm -hmm. I um, adopted that to find a quality possession as a first down inside the 40 or a big play touchdown and just kind of have this measure of game control. I call echo after this Navy fullback um, that looks at just how often are you getting a quality possession? How, um, how often are you preventing a quality possession? And, and then, you know, the ratio gives you a really good kind of heuristic for a win probability in a game. How much did you control the game? And if that's vastly different from the outcome, we can kind of look at, you know, finishing drives or um, turnover luck or, or something like that kind of in the second order. But those three are kind of my first order. I'm looking at EPA per play. I'm looking at uh, rush rate over expectation. And I'm looking at uh, ECHL, the, the ratio of quality possessions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I love how you named it after a fullback. I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of people really like that, especially a Navy fullback, you know, that's, that's as football guy as you can get, uh, you know, absolutely. Yeah. He was on the team, like 2004 Emerald bowl with the longest drive in college football history. Alex Kirshner, uh, wrote about it. Um, and so I was just like, oh, okay. I, I made this to kind of con contradict the narrative about time of possession and so I was like, all right, I've got to name it after, you know, the, the, the Navy fullback, kind of the, the bread and butter of the run the damn ball kind of <laughs> ideal in college football. That's great. Yeah. And I think, I think like, that's like the really cool thing about college football that, you know, I don't get as much exposure to as like someone who primarily watches NFL, but you know, every year, like tries to watch more, more college football when, when I have time. And it's like, there's, there's just so much variety in in, you know, different types of offenses and defenses. And there's, there's so much innovation that happens, like so much more than the NFL. And like, it, have you seen any, any trends in, in college that happened last year that you think could, could continue this year in, in the 2022 season? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the one thing to watch in circle, if we're looking at kind of like hallmark moments in college football is if we're looking at um, Western Kentucky last year, they imported um, uh, Bailey's out from, uh, Houston Baptist. They brought the Houston Baptist, uh, 
offensive coordinator, Zach Kitley, who's, who's since moved to Texas tech. And basically they just threw the ball. Um, they, they rushed last year on only 28 or 26.8% of early downs at Western Kentucky. That was second most, uh, or second fewest rushes in the nation behind only Mississippi state. Who's, you know, Mike Leach complete air raid and Western Kentucky had an absolutely huge increase in their, um, passing on early downs, super aggressive, just, just absolutely through the ball. And that increase in volume, even though their talent level hadn't increased that much, mm-hmm. gave them just a huge offensive advantage. They had this relentless attack. You look at Pitt with Jordan Addington and Kenny Pickett and how um, Mark Whipple and Brennan, Ma- Brennan Marion, who's now at Texas, worked together to kind of engineer this downfield high volume passing offense. Virginia last year was another one that just dramatically improved the quality of their offense simply by just relentlessly passing. And so in college football, um, we're, we're seeing kind of a separation between three teams. One, you're, you're an elite, you're at the top, and you're going to be aggressive and run a, a, a clear identity scheme that is going to be passing first. That's your Ohio States, that's your Alabamas. Um, and those are kind of the teams that are succeeding, succeeding at the top level, the middle group, or sorry, the, the bottom group is going to be, Hey, you're bad. And you're running an identity offense just to kind of get something on the field. Right. So that could be, um, I don't want to call the triple option teams bad, but that's, you have these normative commitments. Um, and, and this middle group, you really see kind of separating into people who are willing to, uh, adapt and modernize and, um, can find a quarterback to run a high volume at passing offense. And then teams who keep hitting their head against the wall, trying to play football the old way, or not really understanding how to optimize their roster. So in terms of trends, I think pass rate and aggressiveness, um, especially as we've gone back towards kind of the runner run heavy air raid, you look at what Lincoln Riley did at Oklahoma, basing everything off of counter. They ran the ball a lot. Um, if you look at, uh, I think, Bryles, who's moved from Ole Miss to Oklahoma. Now we're going to see a different level of running um, offense. They they want to run the ball. If you give them a light box, they're going to run the ball. But the second that you commit that seventh or eighth guy into the box, they're going over the top and, and you're not going to be able to stop it. Um, and so looking at how this, this kind of pendulum of offense and defense react to each other, we're in a really nice segment here where the RPOs with the offensive linemen being able to go downfield give you a really, really nice variation in how you can use the run and the pass complementary in, in, in college football. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, I love that insight. And I, I think that's super interesting that, you know, I think, I think like a lot of, a lot of the time, like what you mentioned with that bottom group is like, it's it, when, when they just put a product out on the field, it's a little bit boring to me. And, you know, I wish they would lean into variance more, especially where you're an underdog and especially when you're playing big games like that. So like Western Kentucky, you know, dramatically increasing their pass rate is how you increase variance. Um, you know, when you're, when you're playing against a, um, you know, a, a team that, you know, might be a, a 20, 25 point favorite, like a power five team. It's always nice to see these teams just go for it on fourth downs, um, pass a lot and and do kind of all that stuff that, that they need to do to, to pull off the upset. But yeah, you mentioned, you, you know, you mentioned Oklahoma and they're kind of having this big shift with Lincoln Riley leaving and, and going to USC and, um, and, you know, Brett Venable is coming in and, and, you know, as they're hoping to create more of a defensive identity there, like, and so at this, I know, you know, someone says this every year, but like, I, am I crazy for really liking Texas this year in the, in the big 12, like over Oklahoma and some of the other teams? I think that for as much as it's a memeable take to say Texas is back, um, the the more nuanced take there is to say that 
Steve Sarkeesian has gone to the uh, Nick Saban school for coaches who can't coach good. And he has come out the other side with a clear vision of one, what it takes to have a high functioning uh, college offense and two, what it takes to have a high functioning college program. He, last season, they had some dramatics, you know, they, they, they lost six down the stretch. They um, had some videos of coaches yelling on the, on the, uh, on the bus after a game. And they had a really embarrassing loss to Kansas. Um, but overall, Sark, Sark knows uh, kind of what he wants to do, and part of that was getting the right personnel on the field. They've dramatically changed their roster, and I think I saw a quote from him today where somewhere in the 50s um, is uh, out of their 85-man roster, like 50-something of them are new to campus or uh, underclassmen. And so they have a very young team. They have a very talented team and a college football talent matters a whole lot. Last year, also being five and seven, they got a lot of breaks that didn't go their way. Again, the football is shaped really oddly and, um, and bounces very, very strangely. If you look at them last year, they, they were 59th in EPA per play margin. That's, that's unadjusted for opponent, but again, a good kind of broad heuristic. Um, and, and specifically their offense was about 40th while their defense was about 80th. And so that big split, you know, Hey, you got some bad luck. You had some inexperience. You didn't have the guys you want on the roster. You expect all that to increase. And, um, they have one of the best running backs in the nation. Who's also a really good pass catcher in Bijan Robinson. Xavier worthy is the second highest returning volume pass, uh, catcher from last year, I think behind Josh Downs at UNC, who had like 38% of his team's receptions, Xavier worthy had uh, 33 and will be a, a super productive uh, running back. Um, Isaiah Nayer comes in from Wyoming, and he has about 26% of his team's returning or, uh, of, of Wyoming's uh, targets last season. So really, really productive receivers, really high volume, high potential, high ceiling offense, and the defense shouldn't be as bad in terms of variance this year. That plus you have an overwhelming talent advantage just on aggregate and almost at every position puts them in the driver's seat to be in that top tier. Granted, inexperience matters. Texas has been in this position before. Can they kind of get over the hump? But I do think that this year I buy them more than I did in any of Tom Herman's years, despite all the narratives about uh, Texas being back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's good to hear. And, you know, I, I really like the the returning production uh, with the wide receivers there. Yeah, that's that's kind of the reason I'm, I'm so high on them is I, I trust Sarkeesian so much as a play caller, um, you know, I thought out of all the the recent iterations of Alabama's offense, his was the the best schemed, um, and and you know was was a lot of fun to watch. And and you know that you're right, like with Bijan Robinson and getting Quinn Ewers and and that, all that talent on offense, it it should be pretty interesting this year and and everything. And so, is there anyone else in the in the Big Twelve you like to kind of you know maybe jump those those top two and be like the Baylor of this season? Yeah. So I will, I will disclaimer and say Baylor was like five and one in one score games last year. Baylor got a lot of help at time. Uh, and, and Baylor really did the, we're going to take control of what we can control. They did really well with special teams. They kicked the ball to the back of the end zone, higher rate than almost anyone else on kickoffs. They had very low penalties. They said, we're going to take care of what we can take care of and hope the bounces go our way. And they did. So I will say in, in terms of design, uh, I, people are, are not hoping to be Baylor from 2021, but they are hoping to kind of be the surprise story and, and sneak up. I think the one that a lot of people have circled is Kansas State. They, of course, bring in Adrian Martinez over from Nebraska. Adrian Martinez is kind of known for 
shall I say, variants to not be, um, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to besmirch a single player, but I do think his reputation has, has kind of fallen unfairly. He was pressured on about 41% of his dropbacks. So, I mean, the guy, we don't know who the guy is and Kansas state has a really good offensive line. They have Deuce Vaughn, one of the most explosive running backs in the nation. Um, if you want to pretend you're a football guy and impress your friends, watch Kansas state and watch for Deuce Vaughn to motion and get lined up by a linebacker and then say that's going to be a touchdown because all of his passing touchdowns are when a linebacker switches on Deuce Vaughn. In I think it was the 2020 season, there's an amazing clip of a Texas Tech linebacker turning to his coach and raising his hands out and saying, I should not be covering Deuce Vaughn. And Deuce Vaughn <laughs> runs this little angle out. You can't catch him. It's amazing. Um, and so Kansas State, I think, is the whole package on offense. On defense, they're going to have a, a pretty decent secondary. And then two NFL guys in Khalid Duke and Felix, whose last name I won't butcher, um, Really, really good pass rush rush there and uh, just super disruptive. I, I think Felix had 13 sacks last year, some absurd number, um, although five of them came against TCU. So you have to discount them some, but uh, a really, really good team in Kansas State. Um, another team that I think is, is getting undervalued is Oklahoma State. Their returning production is a little bit lower um, than everyone else's, but they're at 53%. But they lose a running back and a receiver that they have obvious replacements for. It's not like they lost, you know, first round NFL talent. Not that those guys aren't good. They're both in the NFL. Um, but I, I think that their returning production and their kind of consistency really, really puts them in a good spot. Um, the last team to look at is you have to look at West Virginia here. West Virginia has has kind of been underwhelming. Um, and if you look at their EPA from last year, they were eighth in the big 12, but they do get a five-star quarterback in JT Daniels. They do have some exciting weapons. They bring in Graham Harrell. They're a candidate for dramatically increasing their pass rate on offense and potentially just getting a lot of gains from that stylistic change in addition to having a much better quarterback. So um, I, I, I obviously Oklahoma is going to be in the mix. Obviously Baylor is going to be in the mix. And there's a couple of teams like TCU and Texas Tech who are kind of in striking distance. Iowa State maybe in striking distance. But I think I think really the teams to watch for this year that are most interesting is that, that Kansas State is kind of that dark horse that everyone keeps coming back to. If everything goes right, they, I mean, they, they, they could very easily find themselves in Arlington. Mm. Yeah, definitely makes a lot of sense. And if yeah, if Deuce Vaughn is ever lined up on a linebacker, I'm definitely doing the Leonardo DiCaprio pointing meme where uh where I'm, I'm just <laughs> yeah, like, oh, exactly. right <laughs> yeah, the college football version of Lane Kiffin, just you know, throw your clipboard yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, the, that that Lane Kiffin moment was was awesome. Like, I actually wanted to, I actually wanted to talk about him. So like what are what are some of the things you think that he's he's doing at, at Ole Miss that um like do you do you think it's gonna be successful there or or do you think that his his edge as a play caller is enough to kind of make up for some of the things that that you know he doesn't he's not as good at? Or how do you think that experiment's going to unfold this year? I think that eternity begins anew each day, and he has matured a lot, and that was a legitimate concern. I I, I don't want to insult anybody's character. Just saying, running college football programs, serious business. He looks to have found a place he can thrive, which is great. Um, in terms of on field, I, I'm really interested to see what they do. They bring in Zach Evans from TCU, a five-star running back and Ulysses Bentley, an extremely underrated running back from SMU. So they're going to, they're, they, they're going to re kind of refuel their stables or recharge their stables and have two really, really good, um, backs. It wouldn't surprise me to see both of them in the backfield and some pass sets and some interesting stuff at, at Ole Miss for, for Lane Kiffin. Um, Last year, Tage, they, they ran the ball so much more than you think. But like I said, they're trying to do that light box. If you, if you take it, they had three guys with 100 rushing attempts last year. 
Three guys, not included a quarterback. And so, and and we know Matt Corral would, would run all that too. So they're going to have a very run, uh, run friendly offense, but then try and get that, that, that deep shot um, as, as well. And, and it looks like they'll have some guys to be able to do that. Interesting thing about them. They, they rush only 2.2% percentage points more than average, like a very small, they really are responding to situation, kind of take what the defense gets you, be prepared for everything. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, again, I think they'll, the, they, they brought in a ton of transfers, especially their defensive line last year was pretty poor. And I think they'll bulk up their, their defense and their, um, and, and, and keep the momentum on offense. I, I again, you've got to kind of uh, calibrate what success is in the SEC West uh, but last year, really, really good. Uh, unfortunate that Matt Crowell got hurt early in the Sugar Bowl and they couldn't really, you know, display what they could do against a quality uh, non-conference opponent. But they finished uh, 44th in raw EPA per play. Obviously, when we opponent adjust that being in the SEC West, that's going to be top 20, top 15, really, really good team um, and, and and weren't too balanced, um, you know, offense versus defense. Again, that, that rush defense was like 126, but Lane Kiffin said, Hey, we're really bad on rush defense. Let's bring in, let's bring in some, some reinforcements. And so he's played the transfer portal about as well as anybody. They've got some really, really talented guys coming in. And it looks like uh, their their advantage, I think, in addition to talent, one way that they can really do well talking about his play calling ability is they have a very clear identity of what they want to do on both sides of the ball. And even though a lot of football coaches say they will, the execution of that identity might be a little murky. looks like Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss is um, able to execute that pretty well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that definitely definitely makes a lot of sense. And yeah, those, those I think those running backs that you mentioned is going to be kind of cool to see what he does with them. And yeah, I mean, yeah, the SEC West is is you know a gauntlet and a team that's getting a lot of you know hype there. I think is is Texas A and M. Um, you know, fifth in blue chip ratio for for twenty twenty two. Uh, you know, a lot of talent is there. Um, you know, you know, just had a, a massive recruiting class come in and everything like. But there's question marks about their quarterback play and like we just saw Georgia win uh, a national championship with, you know, a non-elite quarterback play, but they had an historically great defense. Like, what do you kind of see as the benchmark for Texas A&M's quarterback to hit this year for them to be a national championship contender? Yeah. I, I, obviously with, with Texas A&M, Hayes King went down very early last year and kind of threw off their whole plan. And, and, you know, history is non-ergotic, right? It's not, it's not like a path. It's not crystallized that you can take one element and change it and say everything else would have been the same. So I think it's a fallacy to say, Hey, if, if he hadn't, if King hadn't gotten injured, Texas A&M would have been a lot better, but they were severely limited at the quarterback position. Um, and, and they really benefited, I think from, from Alabama early on had a ton of, red zone issues uh, against Texas A&M, Alabama had six first downs inside the Texas A&M 20 came away with only 23 points. That's, that's not going to cut it. That's, that's not enough at all. And so Alabama fixed those later on in the season, but Texas A&M was able to capitalize. They've got talent everywhere and they bring over Max Johnson, who, I mean, Zach Calzada completed 55.9% of his passes. He had a couple decent passes, but like 17 to nine touchdown interception ratio, just not, 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 not enough for what they need. But that LSU offense was sneakily decent despite some uh, issues, especially with, with, with Max Johnson, who's, who's coming over their pass offense was 43rd, whereas their rush offense was 88th in raw EPA per play. So Max Johnson, I think is really fun and, and, and competing for the job. I don't know who will win it outright, but they should be poised to have a quarterback that they um, want to, to, to run the ship, run the ship there. Um, which would be a step up from last year. Obviously their defense is going to be really good. The big deal, the big deal 
with uh, Texas A&M is, of course, Jimbo Fisher's uh, commitment to playing man ball and commitment to just running the ball. Um, they they last year were a little bit more aggressive, but this this doesn't account for scrambles. They were you know three point three rush rate uh, below expected, so slightly uh, a little bit more pass heavy than they've been, but very pro style requires a lot from the quarterback. Um, it mentally, let alone physically for having to be able to be, be super flexible. So they're asking a lot of a quarterback. And yet again, they're going into a season with high expectations, um, with, with a quarterback who's going to be new and new into the system, but, uh, they're really talented all around. I think they avoided a, a pretty catastrophic off field event with a, a player who got a charge dropped and, and might've missed some serious time. And so the, they're going to have weapons on offense. They're going to win the trenches. Um, the, the question is just, can the quarterback click and can the offense be aggressive enough to, to push them from, you know, SEC West kind of upper middle class to that we, we want to be in the playoff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Their, their yeah. best case being, being the division with Alabama, your best case is you, you beat Alabama, you lose a stupid game and you have one loss and you go to the playoff anyway, like that, that that's their best, their best chance. And, and it's, it's hard. It's just, it's hard to win in the SEC West. It's, it's stacked. Yeah. Yeah, no, I know. I, I think it'll be really interesting to, to see what Texas A&M does this year. They're definitely one of the more intriguing teams. And because of the quarterback play, like the, the range of outcomes is is really wide. But yeah, no, you know, Parker, this is this is a lot of fun. Um, you know, I usually like to like to end off with with like kind of a lighthearted question. So, you know, I'm just wondering, like, how, how well does TCU have to do this year for for you to make one of those TikToks that their players keep making? Yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, golly, it feels like every three months we get one of those where it's it's college players. It, it, I mean, uh, I, I realize I'm getting old when I just say, I don't understand why we're, why we're making these, but, um, you're in your uniforms. You look cool. Um, if TCU makes the playoff, I would, I would recreate that. Uh, I would recreate that TikTok. I think I'd be happy about that. I, I don't think that's going to happen. I'm pretty, I'm pretty safe in that, but, um, you know, if, if, the, if the kids like the uniforms and they feel good, whatever makes them feel good and play good that, you know, we just gotta, uh, the old guys like me can't judge too much for the silly TikToks. Cause I'm sure that I have a treasure trove of, um, cringe internet stuff that, that I would have posted if it had grown up with TikTok and everything. So, <laughs> yeah. okay, cool. I'll, I'll hold you to that. If, if TCU makes the playoff, you'll, you'll, uh, you'll make one of those TikToks. That's, that's exciting. <laughs> I'll, I'll be rooting hard for that this year, but yeah, no, thank you so much for, for coming on, giving the time, um, you know, for everyone listening out there, feel free to, to, you know, follow him at stats on Twitter. Uh, make sure to, to watch his uh, bet us college football show on YouTube. Um, Parker, anything else you want to, you want to say before head out? No, thanks so much for having me, man. I love the, love the show. I've caught, I, I haven't listened to all of the, you know, f- three and three and four hour episodes, but uh, I've been, I've, I've listened to a couple of them really enjoyed it. So I'm glad to be on here and excited to see what you all do this fall. We'd really like to thank uh, Kelly and Parker for both coming on and, and taking the time to talk to us. Really enjoyed both of those conversations and, and got a lot of insight about college football this year. So, you know, as we do the, the better the week, um, I wanted to keep it, you know, among the the theme of the episode. We've only done NFL bets so far, but I thought we could do a college one since that's the 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 name of the show today. And um, I, I'm going to go with USC under 9.5 wins. So you know, this was something that Kelly talked about when when we were talking to him. And you know, for me, it's it's they went they went four and eight last year. So this would be a, a massive massive jump to get you know 10 wins or more in the regular season. And, you know, there's a lot of moving parts there. Caleb Williams is transferring there. 
Jordan Addison, who who some people have as the, as the number one receiver uh, in in football right in college football right now, is transferring there. But still, like like it's 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 a lot of thing to 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 take care of. And you know, as Kelly mentioned, like the the offense was you know fine for the most part for USC last year. It was really the defense that was really bad that that didn't see many upgrades. And Lincoln Riley doesn't care about defense at all. Like all the Oklahoma teams were were really bad on defense, and they got worse you know each year. And USC has to play at Utah, who, you know, we both talked about, you know, really liking this year at UCLA, which is going to be a very tough game for them um, versus Notre Dame and, and, you know, other typical Pac-12 games like, you know, the, the Arizona teams always play, uh, you know, above their, their competition and everything. And so, you know, Kelly's numbers have it as a 9% chance for USC to win 10 games or more. So I, I really like under uh, 9.5 wins for USC. What do you think about that? Yeah, no, those are all great points. And again, I'm not the biggest college football guy. I do, but I do follow like what USC does a little bit because I, I kind of grew up rooting for them with when they had like Reggie Bush and stuff. Um, but, but yeah, like with, with USC, I, I agree. There's just a lot of moving parts. Their defense got probably got worse. Drake Jackson, who was a second round pick by the Niners this year. I mean, he was one of the better pass rushers in, in college football last year. So if, if their defense was as bad as Kelly and you were saying, and you know, they lost a second round prospect, then how much, you know, they're probably not going to be better. And year one for any new offense is tough, even with how good of a, you know, transfer season they had with Williams and, and Jordan Addison. So it could all come together, right? Like with, with betting, it's, it's all about like you're taking the plus EV side. So with Kelly's numbers is a 91% chance that they win uh, less than 9.5 games. So you have to, you know, it's probably, it's, it's a good bet to take if, if the numbers align. And I, I agree with a lot of the things that you're saying uh, in terms of the personnel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's a good point. Yeah. It's, that's, that's like the key to betting. And, you know, when you're betting college football, like something that we've talked about with Bill Connolly and, you know, our friend Joey DeCreasy last year, creating a college football win total model that, that hit at a 60% rate, if I remember correctly, is the college football win total market isn't super sharp. Uh, you know, right now it's, it's, it's definitely exploitable. Like the, the, I think like the, the lines for games and everything have kind of been figured out and like, you know, S, SP plus ratings are used for, for those types of things, but the win total market is definitely beatable right now. So, you know, that's, that's where I was kind of looking at for these bets. Um, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's, there's a lot of other ones that people who are, who are really deep into college football can, can kind of find and everything. So, you know, if anyone has any of those, Feel free to send them our way. I'd love to love to look at them. But yeah, Arjun, let's let's hear uh, the unhinged tweet of the the week that you have. Yeah. So, um, unhinged tweet. It's kind of like a two parter. The first part it's about Aaron Rodgers. So first part was him uh, uh, throwing some shade at Devontae, saying you know it's tough going from one or it's you know going from one Hall of Famer in Devontae to another Hall of Famer in Lazard. <laughs> um, and then the unhinged tweet is is next gen stats which I, I think they mentioned as a joke. I, I'm not so sure though, but uh, it, it's about on-off splits. And I, I thought we could have like a really quick discussion about, you know, why it's not, you know, why on-off splits are not great. So they tweeted Aaron Rodgers EPA per play with Devontae on the field, 0.12, off the field, 0.19. So he gets better when, Devo- when the best receiver in the NFL is off the field. <laughs> but when Lazard is on the field, he averages 0.22 EPA per play. And um, when he's off the field, he only averages 0.1. So he gets worse when Lazard is off the field. So like, I, I think, I, I think on off splits are, are kind of dumb because, you know, you can't, you can't like all account, like you can't p- 
properly account for EPA to a single person. There's certain modeling techniques you could do that, you know, I'm not going to share all of the, all of the secrets about how to do that. And I, I'm sure you could explain it better than me, but um, there's other factors involved when a player's not off the field. Like who, who was Aaron Rodgers playing when he didn't have Devontae Adams, who's playing the lions and, um, and like the Jaguars, then of course he's going to be better when Devontae is not playing against two of the worst pass defenses in the NFL. If he's, if he's playing the, on uh, the Bucks and the uh like the um the bills or something when lazard is not playing and of course he's going to be worse like those are two of the best defenses in the nfl so i think there's other extraneous factors that are not properly accounted for with on-off splits but but why don't why don't you share some ideas because i know you were the one who first told me that like on-off splits aren't the best to use to kind of evaluate players impact Mm -hmm. yeah i know i'm i mean you hit you hit a lot of the the good points and yeah like i've I've always been wary of on off splits um, because, you know, I think I think, you know, like the problem with it is your your football is already a small sample size game in general. Like, you know, you only get 17 games a season. Um, you know, it's not like a basketball or a baseball where it's a very long season and you can kind of like see things level themselves out. So, you know, when 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 you take a already small sample size relative to other sports, and then you cut it, you know, into even smaller pieces, you're going to get a lot more noise than, you know, what you're asking for in, in your numbers. And so that's like why the, these on off splits look so weird. And, you know, like, like, yeah, like it, 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 you know, um, just like, just on paper, like it doesn't make sense that Aaron Rodgers has had better numbers without Devante Adams, you know, on the field, given that he's the best receiver in football. But once you start, you you know, you could split things, into like any way that you can, right? Like Warren Sharp had a had a tweet, you know, a, a couple of weeks ago where he said, um, on on early downs and quarters one through three, Russell Wilson was first in EPA per play in the league, right? So you know, when, when then when you add in uh, third down and you add in uh, you know the fourth quarter and everything, then he becomes like 18th in EPA per play. So <laughs> you, when, when you have a narrative uh, and and you want to prove it, you can find you know basically any split that'll prove like what, what you want to say exactly. But you know, that that's like what the on off splits kind of do is like, you can split it any way you want to, to kind of make, you know, it, it, to it, it to look good for, for like what you're trying to prove. But yeah, it's, 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 it's always like a slippery slope to use them uh, because yeah, they, they're missing so many contexts and so many situational factors and, and just increasing the noise that, that you don't want, uh, you know, when, when talking about this type of stuff. Yeah. And again, no, no real shade thrown thrown towards next gen stats. They have a ton of smart people working over there. And I, I'm sure they meant it as a joke. I just I thought it could be a helpful segue into like a quick discussion about why on off splits aren't aren't uh, really valuable when evaluating teams or players. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this was this was a really great episode. We, you know, speaking about college football and then speaking to Kelly and Parker, really want to thank them for coming on. Um, hope you guys tail Tage's bet of the week, which is USC under 9.5 wins. And again, uh, uh, check us out on, on social at Take the Points with the Z and then at Tage FB Analytics and myself at Arjun Men 100. Until then, uh, take the points.